morning, uh, our reading this morning is going to be from this week's chapter of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I just want to encourage you for a second, shut off your adult brains and take this in as if you're a little kid hearing a story about your God. This week's chapter is called The Forgiving Prince. Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favorite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all of the colors of the rainbow, but it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then, to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king, Joseph told his brothers, and you all bowed down to me. Now, I'm sure you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that isn't a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams. One day, that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off of him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dreamer, they thought. But they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life. And even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use all of it to help the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile, though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from his home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do, and even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown in jail. But God had not left Joseph. One night, Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, had a scary dream about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? He didn't know. But Joseph was a dream expert. So Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming, Joseph explained. There won't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by Joseph's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail and made him a prince. Now, back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers traveled to Egypt to buy food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know the prince was Joseph, but Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dream, the one about his brothers bowing to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. When they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned and they knew it. Now, certainly, Joseph would punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers and eyes filled, his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead, in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them. His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love. And Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around them. Don't be afraid, he said. Behind what you were doing, underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them. He rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. One day, God would send another prince, a young prince whose heart would break. Like Joseph, he would leave his home and his father. 
His brothers would hate him and would want him dead. He would be sold for pieces of silver. He would be punished even though he had done nothing wrong. But God would use everything that happened to this young prince, even the bad things, to do something good, to forgive the sins of the whole world. If you would, just reach your hands out, palms up. And man, in a state of prayer before God, just ask, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me. Take a moment, pray for the people right next to you. Pray that God would speak to them too. Pray for your friends, pray for your family. If you're sitting by somebody you don't even know, pray for them. For all those that watch online and are part of our digital community, you can pray for your family, pray for friends, whoever the Lord brings to mind. Ask God, speak to them. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you could do. In your glorious name, illuminate this story in a glorious way. Amen. You guys are great. You can have a seat. Um, Man, it is good to be with you all in the house of the Lord today. Come on, let me hear. Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? I know this is the early service. I get it. I get it. And it's extra early. So it's early service, extra early today. So you guys are the ones. Anybody here like, you get up so early, today wasn't even an issue. Anybody that way? Just, yeah, I knew there'd be a few. Like, the, like the, you guys are like the 4.35 a.m.ers, and you're like, it doesn't even matter. I mean, I, I've already worked out. I've already put in a hard day's work. I'm good to go. I already had lunch, you know, at 7 a.m. This is easy. And so uh, that, that's cool. But for the rest of you, how many people here, it's like, uh, my heart is beating, but I'm waiting for the caffeine to kick in. Like, is that anybody else? Okay. No, I love that you're here. I love it here. I love that you're part of the service. And again, welcome to our digital community. We love you all. So grateful for all that God is doing. Man, just hearing stories of life change, even from a distance, who would have thought? Um, man, the world we live in, it is changing. I have a lot of information to go through today, uh, partially because the story of Joseph is uh, approximately 13 chapters, and, uh, and I already have a tendency to preach a little long out of short sections of Scripture. So if you don't want to be here all afternoon, uh, i got to do my best to kind of pick a thread and make my way through it. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of text today, a lot of Scripture And I'm going to work my way through kind of touching on different sections of each of those 13 chapters. And I'm even going to move into Exodus. Um, And I am excited because I think uh, the Lord really revealed to me an interesting thread through this whole story that I had not noticed before. About 10 years ago, I was... uh, here living in this community and I was lifting weights over at Lifetime Fitness actually at the time. And uh, there was a guy that I would work out with on and off. He was a kind of a business entrepreneur in the area and uh, actually a lawyer and, uh, and also a small business partial owner. And uh, working out with him, I liked working out. It was a great time. We spent a lot of time together. We go over there and I remember I was laying down on the bench press uh, getting ready to, to do a lift. So, you know, I, I get down, get my shoulders set, you know, hands on the bar you know, and, and I'm getting ready to lift off and he looks over the top of me and he's like, pastor, I got a question for you. 
I love that timing. The timing is, is awesome, so it throws it off. But he really did ask an interesting question. In fact, he asked a question that um, I think would resonate with probably hundreds and hundreds of people in the greater Trinity movement and probably many people around, uh, around the world, even Christians especially. But he asked this, Pastor Mike, I'm not good at the things the church seems to need. Pause on that. I can't sing. I don't play an instrument and I'm not good with kids. All right, now don't raise your hand if this is you. But I really do think that there are a lot of people in the greater Christian movement and you're thinking in your mind, you know, I love Jesus and I love God, but all the things the church seems to need, I don't feel like I'm good at those things. So then he went on and he, he basically said this, where God placed me and how he seemed to gift me or gifted me don't seem to fit in the church very well, right? Like, I'm a good lawyer. What do I do with that on a stage? Do I talk about different, you know, things that I'm battling with in the, you know, like, law with kids or like high school students don't care? Like, and then he asked this question, is there a place for me? Like, where do I fit? I'm not good at the things that the church seems to, seems to need. That, that, my friends, is a really interesting question. And I bet he's not alone. In fact, I really, as I was thinking through this even this week, um, I thought, I, I really do believe that there are a ton of like doctors, lawyers, small business people, right? Salesmen, teachers. I mean, some of these are easier to overlap with some of the overt church needs. Some of them are harder. I really do bet there are a lot of people even in our church and you're thinking the things I'm good at don't seem to align with, well, this, you don't sing, you don't play an instrument, you're not an upfront teacher. So I want to pose an idea this morning before we get into the Joseph text. I think the church, especially in the West, especially in America, but the church as a whole for sure, just I think it's exacerbated here. I think we have a church marketing problem. Somehow, we have led people to believe that service to God only looks like upfront ministry roles in the church building. And so today, here's what I would like to do. I want to speak to those that are gifted in areas that operate mostly outside of the church. I want to talk to you. Is that cool? Mostly outside of the church. I want to talk to you today. Now, as we get into the story of Joseph, I do realize, because um, I have taught through the story of Joseph a number of times, and I have studied it um, in undergrad and in grad school. I mean, I've been through this. There are so many different angles. I mean, in 13 chapters, you honestly could do a whole series out of the story of Joseph talking on forgiveness. You could do a whole series talking about the problem of pride. You could do a whole series talking about arrogance. You could talk about humility. You could talk about the necessity of generosity. You could talk about God's divine intervention in areas where you just didn't even know it was coming. Like there's so many different threads you could pull on in the story of Joseph. And as we read through the treetop parts of this story, if God speaks through any one of those to you, awesome. But I want to pull on a thread that maybe isn't so overt as we go through this. Genesis 37, two through four. All right, now again, bear with me. We're going to go through a lot of scripture. I'm going to kind of just 
create some commentary as we skip through it. A lot of Bible today. Genesis 37, 2 through 4. Joseph being 17 years old. Okay, so get his age in your mind. Joseph being 17 years old was pasturing in the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report. Now I want to pause that phrase, bad report. Uh, Actually, in its original language, it means a whispering defamation. So it's like, he's a tattletale. Any older siblings had a tattletale little sibling? Just sit on that. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, of them, to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Another interesting thing, that phrase, a robe of many colors, we actually don't know exactly what that is. You can read through mountains of commentaries on it and people take different positions. But basically the idea, as best as you know, linguists can uncover from this, is a robe of many colors was basically like putting on Some kind of, it could have been a shirt, it could have been a full robe, it could have been maybe an emblem, something. He wore something that basically stated to his brothers, he's not marked for work. All the other brothers got work clothes. So you wake up in the morning, right? And then dad's mom, they're like, all right, here you go. Get your work clothes. You're going to go out. You're going to get dirty. You're going to work in the barn. And then Joseph, we're going to mark you with really pretty fancy stuff that basically excludes you from all the hard stuff. Joseph is obviously resented because of this, right? So verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their favor, or that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Oh man, Um, could not speak peacefully to him. It's rough for Joseph at 17. So loved by one side and so despised by the other. Maybe a really good way to say it would be this. Joseph is the overly favored little brother who is also a sneaky tattletale. Genesis 37, 5 through 8. Let's keep reading. Genesis 37, 5 through 8. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, a couple things to note. Whenever a phrase is repeated in Hebrew, it means like extra punch. So like very, very. So are you indeed rule of us? Are you going to be in charge of us? That double hit is emphasis to them at that time in history. They would have known this is like a huge exclamation point. They really were mad about it. In this story, Joseph actually has two dreams, not one. They were both representing his favor and superiority over his brothers. And the bottom line is the brothers hated him even more because of this. Genesis 37, 18 through 21, then we're going to jump to 25 and 27. They saw him from afar. Basically what happens is the brothers go out and work in a field as we're making our way through the text. And Joseph is sent to go check him out. Is he doing his dad's spy work? I don't entirely know. 
They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. There's so much there I don't have time to go into today. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming down from Gilead, and their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. When Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and cancel and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. So ultimately what we have happening is Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt. Imagine what's going through his mind. I mean, it's like you have this favor, you've been told you're favored, you have these dreams that kind of bolster this idea that you're someone special. Don't you love people that think they're special? Don't you love moms who think their kids are special? It's like that mom who believes that everything wrong in school is the teacher's fault. Their kid can do no wrong. You know those parents? And you have Joseph ultimately sold into slavery in Egypt. He's lost absolutely everything. Genesis 39, 2 through 4. Let's keep making our way through the text. The Lord was with Joseph. Oh, finally, finally. Finally, when everything is bad, the scripture really makes it clear the Lord was with Joseph. Like, wouldn't it be nice if the Lord was with us when everything was going awesome and he just like took the favor even further? But here we find in the text, it's like God really leans in when he's at his really low place. And he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Where is his success finally coming? Not with God, not with God's people, and apparently not in God's plan. That's where it feels like his success is coming. He saw, or his master saw that the Lord was with him and that... The Lord caused all that he did succeed in his hand. So now finally everybody around him is starting to honor him. Now finally he's getting the respect. Finally when he's not with God's people, feeling like he's not doing God's plan, now it finally feels like the favor is upon him. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So working totally separate, just pause on this thought. He's working totally separated from the people of God. But he's favored. And it's finally working. And God, it literally says it in the text, is with him. Man, I just, the thing that was going through my mind a lot was basically this question. Um, Have you ever felt like your work is far from God's house? I mean, it's like you go to work every day. Maybe you do construction. Maybe you're in sales. Maybe you're a farmer. Maybe you're wherever it is, right? And it's like every day you get up and you're making Egypt rich and Pharaoh richer. And your heart's with God, but it feels like 
everything you do all week long is making Egypt rich and Pharaoh richer. But it's like that's where the favor of God is. I mean, like, God didn't gift you to sing, though that would be cool. I'm 43 and my voice still cracks. Awesome. <laughs> God didn't gift you to sing, right? He, that's not what you got. That, that's not you. You don't play an instrument. Like, the favor of God is on you in farming. The favor of God is in you in sales. The favor of God is in you, whatever, practicing law or working as a medical doctor, wherever you're at. Like, Sometimes I think a lot of our people, maybe not every day, sometimes it overlaps better than others, but I think there are a lot of people on many days you wake up and you feel like you're gifting and where God is present and where God built you and the gifts that he's given you, it feels like his work is far from God's house. Genesis 39, 6-9 says this, Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and notice what he says and sin against God? A couple of things that are important from this section here. Number one, the Bible doesn't often, it does at times all the way through, but it doesn't often spend a lot of time describing physical attributes unless they're important to the narrative. And so here we have Joseph as described handsome, well put together. It's like everything's going for him at this moment. And again, in chapter 41, we're going to find another description of him where he's unshaven, he's in a pit, and he's in shambles. And again, I cannot help but think how many business people, how many lawyers, how many people that are in sales or farmers, people that are working so hard and it feels like all your work is not in the kingdom, and it feels like all you're doing is making Egypt richer and Pharaoh richer, and you even know what it's like to be at the bottom in the pit and shambles, and you know what it's like to have moments where you're kind of at the top in your work field. You've been at either extreme, all while you're working to make Egypt rich and Pharaoh richer. The phrase sin against God is actually really important. I want you to notice this. Here we find Joseph working hard in Egypt to the benefit of the Egyptian leaders and his moral compass is still locked onto Like that phrase is massive. One of the commentators I was reading believes that that, that I might not sin against God while he's in the house of his master in Egypt, immersed in Pharaoh, but his moral compass is still set to God. One commentator said that phrase, he thinks, is one of the most important parts of all 13 chapters. Right, so this means for you, wherever you're working, whatever your job is, you might not work at a church. The vast majority of our congregation and our people at all our campuses, right, or that watch online, you're working outside of the church. You're working to make Egypt rich and Pharaoh richer. But even while you're in that system, without a doubt, your moral compass can be locked onto. Can you see it? Your hands might be at a different plow, but your heart is tuned in well. 
Genesis 39 through 40. Now, there is so much in this, I'm just going to do it in three sentences, all right? So this is totally unfair. I know, I get it. Again, we're covering so much text. If you are a part of our Trinity annual reading plan that we're doing, you have already read all this in detail. If you are not a part of it, I encourage you this next week, um, join in with us, but then you can also go back and read the story of Joseph all the way through. So I'm going to sum up a couple of chapters in three sentences. The first one, Joseph is thrown into prison again. We find the phrase God giving him favor in prison again. So God shows up at these low moments, right? God gives him this crazy gift. We also read this earlier, and it comes out in a powerful way while he's in prison. God gives him this crazy gift of interpreting dreams, and ultimately this gift of interpreting dreams so well is going to land him at Pharaoh's feet. And we pick up the story with Pharaoh's dreams that Joseph is interpreting. Genesis 41, 25b through 28, then I'm going to jump to verses 38 through 41. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. This is Joseph again talking to Pharaoh about about Pharaoh's dreams. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. He had two dreams. Pharaoh did. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Now, it's important to note the reason Pharaoh so buys into this so quickly is because Joseph has an incredible reputation for basically interpreting dreams as they actually turn out. And Pharaoh said to his servants, this is jumping down to chapter, or verse 38, chapter 41, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. I'm going to invite Josh up. I'm going to pull some of this all together here. Joseph is about to make Pharaoh a very, 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 very wealthy man. Joseph is about to make Pharaoh a very wealthy man. In fact, if you read the rest of the story all the way through 50 in the first part of Exodus, it's abundantly clear. Like Joseph with his gifting and abilities, basically brings Pharaoh to the point where Pharaoh is going to own everything and everyone. So here we have a man who is gifted. But it feels like his gifting is always pulled away from God's people. Joseph loves God, and his work doesn't appear to be connected to God's people at all. Let me say that again. I think there are a lot of people, even in our congregation, that feel this way. Lawyers, doctors, salesmen, wherever you're at, and you're, right, like, you love God, and it appears, at least from the outside, that your work isn't connected to God's people at all. You're not alone. 
Genesis 42, 1 through 4 says this. When Jacob learned, all right, now, now something in this story really important is about to happen. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we might live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Genesis 42 through 50, I'm going to do a few different chapters. I'm just going to make a couple statements. This section where Joseph's family comes to him now for help, This section is loaded with redemption and forgiveness. And let me tell you, it's messy. They don't all appear to respond quite right at each turn, but there still is redemption and forgiveness happening. And the truth is, if I'm being honest, even as a pastor, there are probably five or six whole sermons just in that section alone. So I'm going to unfairly sum it up with one sentence. Okay? A humble heart before God will find healing. It's just, no matter how broken, no matter how messed up, if your siblings beat you up, tried to kill you, and sold you into slavery... A humble heart before God will find healing. Somehow God does what only God can do. But I want to jump down to Genesis 50, verse 19, and then I'm going to jump over to Exodus 1, verse 7. Let me read both of those. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers, okay? So remember, we did the children's Bible version. We've done kind of a more academic treetop look at this, but just notice the conclusion to this. This is Joseph. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide. I will provide. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And this is now in Exodus. And what happens because of Joseph's provision and kindness? What happens to the people? But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. And they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. God uses right? God used the work of Joseph. Don't miss this. God used the work of Joseph and the wealth of Egypt to bring about his promises. Pastor Mike, there I am laying on the bench, getting ready to lift weights, right? Oh, I got the bar up trying to concentrate. And he leans over, this lawyer, and he says, Pastor Mike, I'm not good at the church stuff. I'm not good at the things the church seems to need. I can't sing. I don't play an instrument. I'm not good with kids. In fact, where God's placed me and how he seemed to gift me don't seem to fit in the church. Is there a place for me? 
Romans 12, 6 through 8. Let me just respond to him all those years ago and respond to you in same manner. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ. We are different. We are different. We are different. God gifted you different. Listen, if you don't have the gift to play awesome music and sing like Josh, I want to tell you something. It's okay. It's okay. In fact, you ready for this? It could be really good that you're actually different. Romans 12, 6 through 8, having gifts that differ, that differ, that differ, according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, so I just want to make sure. Did you catch this? Did you catch what just happened? Did you catch what just happened? Making money in the secular world and helping fund the mission of God is a spiritual gift. Oh, man. That is a spiritual gift. It's right there in the text. It's right there in the stories all through the Bible. Joseph thinks he's working to make Egypt rich and Pharaoh the richest. But God is going to use even that mechanism to pull about his grand promises. Just like preachers that preach, singers that sing, or greeters that greet. The business deal that feels spiritually pointless may actually be a glorious gift from God. In fact, here's, here's what I think. As I was thinking through this, again, bear with me. As I was thinking through this, I pray, I pray God blesses the socks off of every person that feels like a Joseph in our congregation. I want God to bless you like crazy. I pray God also shows you how you can help fulfill the mission of God. Right? There, there, are, uh, there are Josephs out there right now. Uh, uh, let me make a couple of statements. You think you are only working to make Egypt and Pharaoh rich, but God sees you and he has a kingdom plan. Let me give you just a few thoughts here, okay? And I'm speaking a little bit out of turn and a little. Even now, even now, for all of the people, it feels like you're gifted in areas that are outside the church. Your generosity, even right now, right now, your spiritual gift of generosity, let me just be really clear, has fed thousands of meals to the homeless with all of our inner city ministries, Okay, listen, your business deal that you tithed on, it's fed thousands of meals to poor, broken families. You have helped rescue and rehabilitate dozens of people from human trafficking. 
You have helped minister to the refugees. Think of calm. Your business deal that you made that you tithe on is helping. I mean, you know these people. Our Miso congregation at our downtown location and Pastor Kam Tanuk. Listen, you've helped plant churches and ministries. You helped us raise up Andy and send him out. You've helped us counsel many broken marriages. You've brought healing to broken hearts. You've helped spread the gospel in countless ways. See, you think, you think your work is only working to make Egypt rich and Pharaoh richer, but God is using your heart for him to change the world even now. It is a spiritual gift. It's not on stage. It's not up front. It's maybe even outside of these four walls, but generosity is a gift. Think about the eternal return on investment with like raising up an Andy. We bring in, we have lots of young staff. We bring in a young person like Andy. He's literally still finishing college when he joins our team, right? We just launched him out to plant a church here recently, right? Joins our team, he's still finishing college. We put him around our table. We do leadership development. Man, some of you in this room have helped mentor uh, Andy and spent time with him and and now he's planted a church and he's winning people to Jesus and he's baptizing them and he even has somebody he's working to mentor now to ultimately go plant. Think of the return on investment. That's way better than a 401k. It's way better. I mean, this is amazing. The eternal return on investment. Future thinking. All right, now here's where I'm, I might be stepping out of line. That's okay. I'm okay with people being mad at me. Future thinking. I have, I don't know if you know this, I have like in my back pocket, like vision ideas. They, I, I call them back burner. Like when you're cooking and you turn it on low just to keep it warm. I have vision ideas that I put on the back burner, even now. If we were to increase, this is systems wide. If we were to increase our total giving by 10,000 a month, I would immediately look at developing a more robust inner city ministry. There's so much that could be done downtown. Many more meals, many more lives changed, many more refugees, many more immigrants. There's so much broken homes, moms. I mean, my goodness, even helping with the education. There's so much. I would immediately begin developing a more robust inner city ministry. I can give you details if you're interested. If I had 10,000 more a month, I would immediately work to hire two more future church leaders, just like Andy, just like AJ, just like the ones we have now. I want more young leaders around our table. I believe one of the greatest eternal return on investments is raising up next generation leaders. I fully believe that. I want them around my table. If I had 10,000 more a month right away, I would begin even shifting that to something I've been working on called the Trinity School of Ministry. Kathy, my amazing woman in the back, fellow doctoral student, um, we've got a crazy awesome vision to really begin an engine that would train up and send out missionaries and pastors uh, that's just, it's just sitting on the back burner waiting for a Joseph to help make it happen. All right, really big future thinking. I, I just, I'll tell you, and I, I can't go into details on this without breaking some confidence, but I was even laying there thinking about this and I thought if we had gifts that exceeded a million, I have an idea that I am so excited about that I've, I've put way on the back burner. And if you're sitting there and you're like, man, I'm a Joseph, I don't want anybody to know it, but I have a lot of resources and I'm looking for vision. Let me just say this. Call my admin, I'm gonna go out to eat with you and I'm gonna put something in front of you that could really mess 
things up in an awesome way. Listen, I'm telling you, there are Josephs out there right now. You think you are only working to make Egypt and Pharaoh rich, but God sees you and he has a kingdom plan. He has a kingdom plan. I am so glad. I am so glad that God has filled our church with people who are gifted at things that aren't just stage. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that God has put salesmen around our table, that God has put lawyers around our table, that God has put business leaders and farmers. I am so glad that God has put people around our table that may be like Joseph in a sense. And you think you are only giving your days away to make Egypt rich and Pharaoh richer. But I'm telling you, God has a plan. God has a plan. Lord, in your name, I just want to lay, I'm out of time, and I got to drive over to the other campus. God, I just pray that you would speak to people here today. Um, In the name of Jesus, I rebuke a spirit of offense. I mean, inevitably, every time I say the word money, somebody gets angry. But the truth is, you love to gift us in different ways where we need each other. And I pray, Lord, today, I I really do believe that there's probably a a business, somebody sitting out there has had many thoughts in their mind thinking, I don't know what I can do for the kingdom of God. And the enemy has just made them very aware that they're making Egypt rich and Pharaoh richer. And so, God, I pray in your mind, like the last section where Joseph sees the outcome, open their eyes to see the potential outcome. In your wonderful name, amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.